When it comes to active lifestyle, really try to not let perfect be the enemy of like getting it done or good enough. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be obsessed with like my speed and my splits and all these things, right? Ian Kerr is an industrial engineer and avid runner who recently picked up cycling. Keep listening to hear about his work as a simulation and optimization consultant, as well as his transition from riding to biking, and his most recent mileage goal that involves both of those activities. My name is Alex McLean, and welcome to the 41st Hour. Cool, so I'm here with Ian Kerr. Uh, I would introduce your job, but I don't really know what you do so i'll let you do that and talk about your outdoor hobbies and sure. kick things off so uh i'm ian i'm a simulation and optimization consultant at a company that makes tools for organizations to help them make better decisions which sounds like a bunch of words <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's also intentionally vague because like the decisions we help organizations with uh could mean like anything and the organizations are spread across like so many different industries so um, the simulation and optimization part of it is I do uh, developing of these tools like I program them develop the logic and the math and the UI and all these things and some data connectivity and they are all part of a field called OR, which is something you study if you take industrial engineering. <laughs> um, what does OR stand for? stands for operations research. Okay. Yeah, so this sort of is like before machine learning became machine learning, it was OR, and then it spread into all these other things, and now there's a bunch of buzzwords that collect what that is, but okay. um, it encompasses simulation, optimization, like, and getting now in today's world, it kind of includes machine learning as well. Although... Okay. So our company does those three things like separately, like simulation's one problem, optimization's another problem, machine learning's another problem, and we have consultants that sort of like either specialize in one, do all three, do a couple of them, or just over time learn how to do one of the other ones. So okay. um, yeah, I mainly work on simulation stuff, which is like running some scenario thousands and thousands of times, um, coming out with, or running many scenarios thousands of times coming out with the best answer for something like a hospital needing to know how many nurses to staff or how many new nurses to hire to mm -hmm. handle like capacity problems. So usually we work with organizations that want to know like capacity problems is a good one. Like how many patients can I see in a time period at a hospital? How many tractors can I service at a warehouse and pallets to like move off in an hour or something like that. Um, then optimization problems are usually like scheduling problems or you're trying to decide something that's very like specific and it doesn't have as many like probabilities involved of random stuff. Like in a okay. hospital, you can have like, who knows how many people are going to show up in a day, right? That mm -hmm. could vary day to day and week to week. Um, and those ones, like sometimes they go hand in hand too. Sometimes we do the, both of those things at the same time. Um, getting pretty detailed now so it's uh <laughs> no, no, no. go for the deep cool. dive go for so it. i think i yeah i definitely jumped a few layers down but overall like i help clients figure out like the consultant part is i help clients figure out like what the problem is and i help 
design what the solution is going to look like and whether it's an optimization problem, whether it's a scheduling problem, what the best answer is going to give them. And then I'm also a modeler there at this company as well. So I like actually program and develop all these things as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I come, like I came into this job from a previous job in supply chain and I felt that like, I think how I got it all into all of this is like, I'm a pretty naturally curious person. Like I want to know how uh, every little thing works, but not necessarily like how my bike works. Although I do think that's interesting too, but I'm more <laughs> like, how did the bike get made? How did the bike end up in my house? Like, you know, I didn't make the bike, so someone made it and it got over here on some truck probably. And like that stuff was always pretty fascinating to me. And then now I get to see, because our clients vary, I get to see like, the inside of a hospital in mm. a way that I never thought I would. And then like the inside of a factory and the inside of like some abstract problem people work on, that's not really even physical and we're helping them model it in some way. So it's pretty cool. I get to see a lot of different, like behind the scenes, pull the curtain behind some stuff and get to see the back end of so many different processes. It's pretty cool. Cool. So sounds like you're diving into like a little bit of everything, like you said, Yeah. but like at the base, you're an industrial engineer. So yes. how do you, learn how these things function is it a lot of field work or interviews or research or uh it's a lot of interviews like um when we get supply chain like i did a really big supply chain problem project at work uh and it was in a similar kind of thing that i had done before in my previous supply chain work so this that was like just experience but i've only had one job before this it's not like i have like tens of years to fall back on. Like there are some consultants at our company that have like worked a decade in another industry and they're like bringing that experience and they can just see the problem. And they're like, uh, I used to do this. So that they're like a specialist. Like a, they're like, uh, Oh, we have like a, a mining project. This yeah. person's a mining engineer, but now they know simulation and optimization, all these things. So we're going to get them to work on this. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm so young. I don't really have that. So <laughs> I have like a little bit of it from the supply chain stuff, but uh, most of the time it's like a lot, a lot of interviews and site visits and like we, it depends how physical the problem is. Cause sometimes we project I'm working on right now is about a process. That's not a physical process. So like nothing's getting made, uh, physically. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. Basically like when, uh, something is shipped like a, like Canadian tire or a big, big company like that and they ship a product the cost that that costs you like them to ship it is an agreement between whoever's shipping it and them so they don't pay what like you and i pay to ship and the company that they're shipping it with has these like huge spreadsheets that are like every postal code and area code and like a big grid that says like i'm shipping from where to to there mm -hmm. and they come up with these agreements of how much they're going to charge these people on each one of these like cells okay we're trying to help them like basically optimize these so they can like not completely screw over their customers, but come up with like a little bit of uh, like they get to come up with the right number, I guess, to charge mm -hmm. these people based on like all a million different factors. So that's like not a physical problem at all. Right. Yeah. So there's nothing to see there. So this is all just done remotely. We interview a bunch of people and we just ask them what the constraints are and requirements and stuff. But in like a hospital project I did before, um, like an emergency department is something that you should really see for you to yeah. understand <laughs> what's going on. Right. And like, I am not a healthcare worker, obviously, but like, so I'm hearing it 
what they're doing, but it's hard to like contextualize, put into perspective, like what they say when they say like, or, or you get a, you get like a one description on page that says like, this is how the emergency department runs. And then you're like, well, okay, that's how it runs. Then you go there and it's like completely different because they're just, they're operating in a way that just makes it work more Mm -hmm. so than like, it's like da 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 like mm. step one, step two, step yeah, three. Because yeah. it's so busy and hectic and they have to just like, they're like super people over there. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's just, they just make it work because they're like telling us in this experience, like they're telling us all these rules of how it works. And then we ask another person who says that they're like 50% staff the whole time. So you're like, how did you do all this? Mm. If you're only 50% staff, then you go there and you see it and you're like, oh, it's because everyone's like running. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, everyone's working twice as fast as they would that it's said on paper. So a lot of interviews, um, yeah, a lot of interviews and lots of site visits. Like I, the company pre-COVID did way more site visits. Like almost every project had one. Yeah. Um, now like companies, I don't know, economic downturn post-COVID, like people are less incentivized to pay for that. So it's always included in like project budgets and stuff. So they're like, let's see how much we can get done online. Yeah. Like, um, because we all work remote, I don't think I mentioned that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we don't have an office anywhere, and I'm the only employee in Halifax. Um, oh shit! But uh, yeah, where was I going? Yeah, they uh, <laughs> um, like less site visits, and I've only done one for that hospital thing. Um, but so a lot of interviews. Yeah. Okay. And the interview questions mainly are like, you, there is a method, but it's. Like, it's like a science and an art, I guess. Like, you try to come up with some really high-level description of, like, what happens. And then this, from this, we can build, like, a skeleton of the model, we call it, which is, like, bare bones does, are we just getting, like, the beginning and end and maybe, like, one or two big processes in the middle? Mm -hmm. And then from there, we figure out, like, if it's a simulation project, what are the agents, which are, like, things in the model that have are able to make some decisions. So this is like a patient, a nurse, a doctor, like these are all agents, right? And mm-hmm. we try to define what their behaviors are and how they interact with each other. And usually there's one main agent, which is like an entity. And that's the person who is, or thing that is traveling through the process. Okay. Like a patient is like everything that happens in the emergency department process wise is from the perspective of the patient mm-hmm. because at the end result you're trying to get patients through right and like on a factory floor the perspective is from some widget on the assembly line but there yeah. are other agents like forklifts and factory workers and you know all these other things so we try to just if it's a simulation project we try to figure out what those things are and where to place them and like really understand which ones are important and which ones are not because mm-hmm. these things can like blow out of proportion pretty quickly you can model like in the methods that we do, like almost any level of detail, like you can get extremely granular, which sometimes does not, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it's really not like, I don't know. It, you lose a certain amount of, you lose touch with like the end result sometimes. Yeah. Just yeah. go too detailed, like fall down the rabbit hole. Also just takes too much time. Then. <laughs> like you can, you can really spend a lot of time just digging around, but uh, yeah. And if it's something like an optimization problem, then the biggest things are like, what are the constraints and requirements? Because an optimization problem is like one function, one super long equation, followed by a hundred thousand other equations that define like where the variables all have to operate. Mm-hmm. It's much more mathy, like 
harder to visualize, I guess. Okay. And uh, that is something like we have to come up with all these requirements and constraints. And then this is like where the problem plays in, I guess. And then we find the best solution within this constraint space. Um, and so that one's a little like harder to get like you clients who do those kinds of projects. They usually have someone who's like maybe an optimization person already on their team. Okay. Right. Or like, uh, they at least know the speak a little bit and kind of like, or we do a lot of coaching and training too, but, uh, those are like usually very specific projects that we do those things on. Okay. You said a hundreds of thousands of equations. Is that an exaggeration? No. No. no, it's, no it's literally. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, like up to a million in some cases. Yeah. Or like more, it's pretty much infinite. Like in that example with the grid and the company is trying to come up with how much to charge a customer. Like if you have, I don't want to do mental math, but if you have like, if you have 10 <laughs> postal code, 10 destinations and 10 origins, you have a hundred cells. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this cell has to be less than that cell, which has to be less than that cell, which has to be less than that cell and, and so on and so on. And depending on the constraints, then you end up with like, maybe let's say you have, let's say each cell is constrained in five different ways and you have a hundred cells and you have 500 constraint mm. equations. Right. And so the bigger that sheet gets, the bigger that grid gets. Right. Yeah. And the longer your list of constraints, then your the number of equations that you're like yeah. fitting that within can get quite long. Yeah. Just expose exponentially. Yeah. Um, uh, I had a question related to that, but I'm going to go back to the hospital example. Cause yeah. I think it's easiest for, or at least for me to visualize. It is like the best example when someone asks what I do for work. Like it's the one that most people are going to like, not that it's difficult to understand. Like I feel comfortable enough to be able to one, I think people can understand it. And two, I think I could like, get someone to understand it pretty mm -hmm. easily, but hospital one's just the quickest one to get people. Like, yeah. Way but go. you mentioned that like when you went to site, it didn't necessarily line up with the description. Yeah. How do you model that variability and account for it in what you're doing? Yeah. So, um, ideally you model it with like really good data. So although it changes every day, a hospital typically knows how many people show up, mm -hmm. um, every day. So you get like three years of data that says this is how many people showed up every day. And ideally it's broken down by like hour because all of this, all of the simulation stuff fits under something called queuing theory, which is like the idea and study of how like people, things, or these agents move through queues, mm -hmm. which it's not all, sometimes you can like fit that into some other representation. Like it's not always a line like at a movie theater, but most things can be represented as queues, even if they don't immediately look like it okay you're standing in line waiting for a nurse waiting for a doctor even if no one's ahead of you but you're sitting in a chair in the waiting room like you're still technically queuing and waiting right? yeah um so if you have three years of like hospital hospital data um of how many patients are arriving every day with some like analytics in the front end you can come up with like a baseline point of that so let's say you take one month out of that three years right mm -hmm. and you do that for whatever reasons like in our in three years of data if you look at any hospital there's gonna be this massive spike in the past year because of covid yeah right and it's gonna look way different than previous years so where you pick that baseline is gonna like be pretty important because mm -hmm. if you're modeling for the future and you pick like 2017's january like the 
people might not be super believable, right? That mm -hmm. that's an actual representation of what a good baseline is. So you might do something that's like half and half, like a little bit of the COVID years, a little bit of the uptake. So like somewhere in the yeah. uptake, because that's going to probably get both. It's very difficult to predict these things, right? So once you have a baseline, you now have like 30 days of something that we agree that you and the client are agreeing on that this is like approximately a representation of what we either like think is going to show up in the next year or we think it's a good representation of what's showed up in the past three years. Then you create some distribution of those things. So like, an, again, another equation and you can like randomly pull answers out of that equation. So okay. like if you have on day one, we have a hundred people show up on day 30, we have 200 people show up and then everything in between. Then we have some distribution that ranges from hundred to 200. Okay. And when we simulate any, like when we simulate one day, we would pick a random number out of that. And that random number is going to be like 150, right? Mm -hmm. Which would be, if that was your first pick, then that's a lucky guess. <laughs> Although you have an equal chance of picking any of them, but um, you would pick this random number and then you would do that. Like you would just always use this, this randomness. And there's these ways to do that, which are like generating random numbers as a whole other field of study. But <laughs> there's like, there's this like, yeah, we, we generate a lot of random numbers and then we put them into these distributions to get answers out. Okay. Um, and then that's how we, that is like the root of simulation. Like you come up with some distribution from historical data, you come up with a random number, put the two of them together and you mm. get out like this many patients and you do the same thing with time. So on average, let's say it takes 10, 15 or 20 minutes to get seen by a doctor and not wait for a doctor, but when the doctor's actually seeing you. Mm -hmm. So now you have some distribution that on the low end, people spend 10 minutes with a doctor on the high end, it's 20 and somewhere in the middle is 15. So you pick a random number out of there, right? And these are all like probability distributions. So wherever that peak is, will skew like where your random number is coming out of. Yeah. Like more random numbers will come out closer. If your peak is 18, there will be hopefully more random numbers that come out near 18, mm -hmm. right? Because um, that's where the peak of your, pro like that's the most probable uh, answer. And you do that many, 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 many times. And you should be able to get back out an answer that looks like the distribution you put in. Okay. And then everyone agrees this model's verified, working good to go, make <laughs> scenarios and stuff like that. So it's a lot of like, it's a lot of, not a lot of math. I mean, I guess it is, but uh, it is like a lot of data, a lot of random numbers. You fit in, once you have that, you have this variance, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be error. People are very keen on being like, 10% error is too much, 15% error is too much. And it's like, well, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to predict <laughs> what's going to happen to your hospital, for example, in which is like one of the most tumultuous yeah. like fields and industries <laughs> and buildings in our society in a time when like these things are off the charts through the roof capacity and unpredictable. And one day it's full and the next day it's empty. It's mm -hmm. like, how are, you know, you have to be pretty reasonable with what you except here. And it all depends on what problem we're solving, right? And what the client is, what their risk tolerance is for that kind of thing. So what's your deliverable to a client? Is it basically a, a probability distribution or is it like a range of scenarios that it could occur? Or? Yeah. So it's, it's changing over time. So typically it's like, they give us the problem, do a bunch of interviews, then we leave and we, <laughs> we go build the model, right? We come back to them and we say, here's some verification results. What do you think? We good mm -hmm. to go. Good to continue. And then we, 
uh, come back, and then we get some scenarios out of them. So here's what you want to test, right? Because once you have the model built, like let's say a hospital wants to add an MRI. Right. Mm-hmm. These are extremely expensive machines, and you can't just add one to test if it's worth it, right? <laughs> but once we have the, the simulation built, like we can add some process that is the MRI process. And mm-hmm. we can then, like the MRI is like a resource that a patient is going to go use. We can add two of them, three of them. We can add a thousand. It's a computer simulation. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we can, we can go really wild if we want to. So um, we will get those scenarios, run all that stuff come back with the results and we'll say like, here's the, the baseline piece. So we didn't change a thing. Does this reflect what like normal operations looks like? They mm-hmm. say, if it does, that's the validation piece. So there's verification and validation. Verification is like, does the model do what I told it to do? Mm-hmm. Validation is like, does the answer make sense? Like, <laughs> does it actually mean anything that it, that it, that it, uh, once it's done running and, uh, once you get the validation piece, if your baseline is validated, it just basically means that any change after you make, it's reasonable to assume that a similar effect would happen in real life. So okay, yeah. if you reach normal operations with your baseline, then I add an MRI machine, whatever that does, like whatever that changes between baseline and that within some percent of error that we would calculate, mm-hmm. we can say like, this is reasonable. Might not be exactly that, but if it's a huge improvement, you shave an hour off wait times, probably worth that investment. Right? Yeah. So we would usually just deliver a report that says that, right? Now we're getting into like building and delivering these tools, which house all these models that they can use over time. Uh, so okay. it becomes like an operational piece for them. So that hospital like that I worked with, they have the model. It sits on someone's laptop. That's like a business intelligence analyst at their hospital or something in there able to run it all the time and they can change things depending on they get new arrival data, right? They mm-hmm. change a new baseline, they put it in. So um, we're getting much more into that. And like this optimization project I work on, this is like, a, this is a very big software tool that we're building that just houses that model. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good thing of that, well, the, I don't know, good thing, the fortunate thing about that, and I'm being a little sarcastic here is that like, we don't have, like we're not software engineers, but we're moving into like basically delivering software tools. So yeah. there's like, we sort of just have to do everything now <laughs> or like we're getting, we're hiring people that know these things, but it's a lot of like, we have some like one or two or three like industrial engineers with huge software backgrounds yeah. and they're just like basically teaching everybody. It's kind of a madhouse right now. It's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, It's a lot of fun because <laughs> you're just like every day you're just learning like some new little thing. So yeah, it's it. The job title is is strange, and what I do is like it's all over the place mm-hmm. for sure. But um, it's it's really cool. It's really rewarding, I think, because like you get to see you you are like not implementing any change afterwards. It's up to the client usually afterwards. Like we give them the report, and they select that scenario. We're going to do that, right? Okay. But some of the pro- some of the problems we work on are so big that like the connection we have to it continues to last so we hear back from that client oh we did this like the the simulation results like that was amazing that we did that we wouldn't have been able to figure that out just mm-hmm. on an excel sheet or something like that so and you get to work there are for every project like this optimization one which is a little bit more like businessy trying to find out how to make more money that's like not super exciting for every one of those there's mm-hmm. another one that's like we're working with a hospital we're working with a health network we're working with some government service to try to speed up like 
a government practice that a lot of people are going to benefit from. Like there's a lot of, uh, it's making things more efficient and that's not exclusive to just like bottom line corporate stuff. There's a lot of like uh, positive change that can come from stuff like that. Like non-tangible stuff. Non-tangible. Yeah. yeah. And stuff that is like, um, you know, you help a government call center do stuff like twice as fast, then that's a good thing. Cause so many people have to call like mm. the immigration office or the whatever, you know what I mean? Or like Canada blood services has huge simulation teams that try to figure out like, how long how they're always recalculating how many days of inventory they have for blood and and when to call out to get more donors and stuff like that so it's not all just about like uh there we're always gonna have some clients that that are much more businessy which are still interesting because they're technical Mm -hmm. challenges but they you know they do have to be done it's how you pay the bills for (laughs) sure but there's other projects that are that are a lot more rewarding to work on that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool um so you did say that the work is, I don't remember the exact words, but like challenging, rewarding, intriguing, like you enjoy it. And you had a job previous to this one. Yeah. What, uh, what directed you away from your past job to this one? And did you know kind of what you were getting yourself into? It sounds like it's a lot going on. Yeah, I, I did. I knew what I was getting myself into to an extent. Mm-hmm. Like in industrial engineering, you have to take a few OR classes, but it's a deep field. And in undergrad, you take one, take two optimization courses and one simulation course. And a lot of people who go and work in like very specific OR positions have master's degrees or PhDs and stuff. And at my old job, there was a guy who I worked with that was like the OR guy. Mm-hmm. And him and I worked pretty close together because I was the only, him and I were the only industrial engineers. So we'd like work on and tweak these models that he had built that would support processes that I was like responsible for and stuff. But I would like be taking the answers out of his models and putting them into practice, I guess. So he was like a version of what I do now, but like in a company, I guess, like Mm -hmm. he was like an internal consultant for that kind of thing. Um, And I was like, I'm really close to this. It's really cool. And I'm not like close enough. Like I Mm want to be in his shoes doing that, like getting the requirements from the models, building it, getting to understand all the different pieces of the business. And I was in this one siloed piece, right? What I did was on its own right, like really interesting. I worked in international transportation for a very large retailer. So like emailing and calling people overseas, trying to get this shipping container from Shenzhen over to Vancouver and all this stuff. And my main role was like basically coming up with how many containers to move between all those cities so that we have the lowest cost. And it also balances out like the risk of one of those ports shutting down and us losing, Mm. you know, 10,000 containers or something like that. So that was in itself really cool, but I just wasn't close enough to the technical challenge. It was a lot of like picking up the phone and calling somebody, which like is, is a great first job to have because it gets you over the hump of like being scared to call somebody on the phone. You know what I mean? (laughs) And now, now you're like, yeah, I can go talk to anybody new and stuff like that. And in a work environment and, um, you know, because I had to do so much of that. I had to, like, really step out of the box. But uh, it just wasn't close enough to the technical stuff, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, the job itself was was totally fine. Like, it was a challenge and it was, re- it was fun. But I just wanted, like, a little bit more of a technical challenge. And I knew about this company that I work for now because I they host a competition every year for simulation. Like, people, like they host a simulation competition. And I entered it uh, with two friends in 
fifth year. Okay. And we got like third place in, uh, out of all the schools I went to in Canada and got to meet the CEO and stuff. And it was like, I just kind of kept it in, in the back but, of my mind. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's there. You know what I mean? And I sent them an email and then like didn't hear from them and went like back and forth for so long. And then eventually it ended up working out and I'm like really happy with it. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, so it's pretty early in the conversation. You're talking about supply chain and like the interest in the detail. And one thing you said is you didn't make your bike. Is that something you'd be interested in? Making a bike? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went deep down the work rabbit hole for sure. Um, making a bike, I don't know. Like okay. I'm just getting into cycling. Okay. Yeah. Cycling is a new thing for me. I actually used to think I would never get on a bike. Really? Why? So I think when it comes to my active life, I'm like first and foremost a runner, I guess. But in the past year and a half, I've been really f- like interested in mainly just becoming a stronger athlete, like all around, mm-hmm. like being stronger physically, being able to jump on a bike, maybe in the future getting in water, like yeah. <laughs> uh, um, stuff like that. But I think I was really immersed or like intrigued by the running world for a long time and love the idea of just being on your feet without any machine or mm. anything like that. You know what it's I mean? It's, it's so simple. Yeah. And I liked the simplicity of it so much that I, I wasn't like swearing out bikes forever, but I was just like, ah, <laughs> oh, let's just go for a run. You know what I mean? Like the satisfaction, I didn't think it could be like, I didn't think I could get a similar satisfaction out of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that all changed when this summer I had a foot injury and I like couldn't run for a while and I had not taken injuries seriously before. And this was the first time that I think I was like, I'm getting older. Like I need, <laughs> I need to actually take this one pretty seriously, which is a hard thing for me to do. Um, and so I took like six weeks off of running, which maybe seven, I think I took eight. And I think after six weeks I said, I think it realized, like I realized how long that was. And I was like, I haven't not ran for six weeks since like summer 2017, maybe like there was a long time for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anyway, I had this old bike sitting around that I got off somebody for $50. And um, I was like, it was sitting there and like collecting dust. And I was like, why have I never gotten on that thing? And so uh, it's really old. It's like a down tube uh, road bike from the late 80s and stuff. And it's super heavy. And I was like uncomfortable on it and stuff like that. And because I just, I wasn't familiar with the bike. So I would just take it out and just do like hill sprints on it. Yeah. Like literally right down the road over there. And I would just do like, 20 of these hills as like my that's my workout and i would just like do that over and over and over again like uh and eventually it got like a lot of fun and it it like sucked for the first few weeks i was like what am i why am i doing? why am i on this bike like it doesn't feel like running it's not doing the same thing i'm not even going anywhere i'm going like up, up this hill down my street and then back and then I don't know. It just clicked one time and I was like, Oh, it's actually a lot of fun. And then, uh, I have an uncle who's a big cyclist. So I just texted him one day and I was like, can you look for a bike for me? I don't really know anything. Yeah. He was like, (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) He's like, my kids don't want to ride bikes. (laughs) And so he, uh, went on marketplace and like within 24 hours I had like 12 links sent to me. And he was like, with like paragraph descriptions of like all these parts. I'm like, man, I don't know what any of this is. Um, but cool. Thank you. Like, 
this one looks the coolest. <laughs> like, this I, one's I, red. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this one looks pretty cool. It so, has flames. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, got that on Marketplace, and I love it. Yeah, I haven't been on like any crazy rides. I haven't. I'm not like. I haven't cracked like 50k on it or something like that, but I'm really enjoying it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's definitely like worked now into part of my activities i guess which is not something i just would have thought and i'm still running i'm back running now um the foot is feeling pretty good um i had sprained my ankle like many times and then at the beginning of the summer i sprained it playing frisbee Mm. and i just like ignored it (laughs) because i was so i'll back up i guess so i at the beginning of the summer i ran the cabot trail relay yeah um which was just a blast like that was so much fun um and I did it on like a really big whim. I had some friends that were putting together a team that they are like orders of magnitude faster than me. And they just had like a guy drop out and one of them called me with like two days in advance. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> it's on a Wednesday night. And he was like, hey, do you want to come to Cape Breton on Friday and run this? I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> and so when I got back, I felt like pretty energized off of that. And I had been like running and building a base all winter and spring and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh when I got back, like I hadn't ran with anybody all winter and spring. And sometimes you can just get in your zone and you're just like doing what you do over and over and over again. And then there was just a bit of like an external push. And I was like, okay, I haven't set a running goal in a while. Like I was just in this race and people were really moving. Like, can I get my 10 K time down? Yeah. And that became like the goal. Right. And then it was the first time I had put like, really focused energy into a running goal because i running is like a maintenance thing for me it's like i've i've never really had like a really big lofty running goal Mm because it's just like it's just like a part of the day almost it's like you should like it's going to get it in yeah it's like it's such a maintenance thing for me like it's a great mental thing for me and it just feels like once once it's done like almost anything else can happen in the day you know what i mean it's like yeah it's like (laughs) it it feels it's good yeah so i just felt like had the like flywheel of momentum going and I was like, man, I'm really getting into this idea of running a faster 10 K. And then I just like overdid it. Like, I don't know. I, instead of, I probably did like, instead of the 80, 20, I think I did like the 20, 80 <laughs> and I was, I was running too fast, too many days in a row. Like, yeah. and I wasn't uh, smart enough about um, building up. So like my base was good. Like I, I was like, I feel cardio wise fine Mm -hmm. right um but then i had this ankle tweak and as you're running faster you lose a bit of your form and stuff and then my ankles are like bending in a little bit more so my feet are kind of like running on the outside of your feet a bit yeah um the ankle is super stiff so it just like exasperates that on the right side um and it gets really difficult to flatten the foot out and then i'm just like running faster and faster and losing my focus on it, and then I'm running on the outside of my foot for many days in a row, mm-hmm. like hard hitting the ground. You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, end up ended up with this like. Eventually, it got to a point where like got out of bed, swung my feet off of my bed, stepped on the floor, and it was like shooting pain through my foot at like seven in the morning. I'm like, this is. I didn't even just run. Like I woke and up and it's like problem. this is the problem. <laughs> so should have saw the warning signs and uh, yeah, like. The idea, I guess, was that it was possibly a stress fracture because there was no, like, muscular Mm. manipulation that was causing pain. And it was just, like, pressure on very specific points of my foot. 
um, a specific point on my foot. But x-ray came back negative, bone scan came back negative, so I don't know. It was either almost a stress fracture or just something else, like a, I don't know, some muscular thing or bone bruise, I don't know. So six, seven weeks off of it, and I'm back on it, and I just do my ankle exercises, and I don't really have to think about it that much, which is nice. No issues yet? Nope. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fingers crossed, then? <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. So I... I don't even know where that started. Something about bikes, uh, but uh, now I feel that running and biking are like two main things that I'm that I'm putting together, and they kind of support each mm-hmm. other. Um, good cross training. Yeah, good yeah. cross training. And then I'm I do have like a kilometer goal for the month of November because I put together a November team with three two friends. Mm-hmm. So there's three of us, and we're trying to be reasonable, but <laughs> but, but something that maybe we could get just over, you know what I mean? And be like, oh, we cracked this, right? So the three of us are trying to do 1,000 kilometers of cardio in November. So mm-hmm. uh, just not walking. <laughs> so And like we can't count our steps. So it has to be like an intentional run, intentional bike ride, uh, long hike even. Okay. Uh, you could swim some of it, right? We just want to get moving to cover 1,000 kilometers. Uh, one of my friends is going to do two thirds of that <laughs> just cause he's on a bike tour right now. So, uh, I'm looking to do like three, three fifty, which is manageable when you include a bike for sure. Like kilometers, you, not percentage. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah kilometers. Um, which becomes pretty manageable if you do a bike cause you do like, I don't know, two thirty K rides a week and then a few five K runs and you're at like 80, right? Yeah. 80 a week brings you to, you know, whatever that is, 320. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you could smash out a long long one if you didn't. And then you know on the mean? last like day of the month, 29th. yeah, I'm going to put in like 120K <laughs> on the bike and just yeah. get us over. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> going to really push it on the last week. That's actually, so the third guy is uh, not pulling his weight. Um, <laughs> he's uh, traveling or he's not on a bike tour, but he is on a bit of a tour, I guess. He's like traveling around and so he's, and it's like vacation stuff. So he's not really getting a lot of it in he was like but i'm but i'm back the last week and i'm gonna really put up some big numbers that week i'm like you're gonna have to <laughs> what are your expected uh numbers that he's gonna put up in a week after being on vacation for a little while we can release this in december so yeah yeah he's gonna do one big bike and that's it <laughs> he's gonna yeah he's gonna do like a 100k bike and like absolutely hurt himself and then so th- these two guys i've done a a big project with before um actually for that competition for the simulation competition okay and uh we will always hold it over um the third guy's head that guy two and me spent like all of christmas break working on it and he was just like skiing in bc <laughs> and came back on like the day before it was due and just like made the powerpoint and sent it in <laughs> now, he's a really smart guy he's a really good friend of ours but it's just uh Seems to this feels similar. There's a trend. <laughs> yeah, there's a trend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what sparked this? Just like you mentioned, November. The November like, thing. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Why a thousand kilometers? And is that going to become a regular thing, or just like every November? a thousand kilometers a month? Yeah. I mean, I think that I would like to do. I think I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be reasonable. Because mm-hmm. of my experience this summer of not being reasonable, right? Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to hold myself back, but I'm just like not trying to get too ahead of myself, I'm trying to set a smart goal, you know? <laughs> um, 
And I think that it originally started of me being like, can I do, can I get back up to like a 75 to a hundred kilometer week? Running, cycling, both? I've just both. Okay. Right? Yeah. I think running was out of the question because I just didn't want to push my foot too mm-hmm. far. Um, in like first and second year of university, I would do 70, 80, 90K weeks. Okay. Um, just running. Uh, and didn't seem reasonable now with work and other things. And I've got a few other activities and like I back onto this idea of like wanting to just be a better overall athlete. I was like, I don't, I want to be able to jump off the couch and do a certain running goal, mm-hmm. but I, it's not like I need to crush a time anymore. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm not focused on, I just want to be able to jump up and do it when it's called upon me, I guess, <laughs> like that Cabot thing, yeah. but not have to like be stressed about it. Cause I, it was a like mental toll during that mm-hmm. time for sure. Cause I was, Doing it within a group of a bunch of like competitive uh, guys and, and things like that. And it was just like, eventually I just got, I realized that wasn't for me, I guess. Like I had a better thing for me to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to come up with something reasonable. Uh, November felt like just a time to do it because the, obviously the movement for it like exists and there's ads for it and stuff, but also like, uh, you know, I was originally going to do my own thing. I was going to do like, uh, I'm just going to run some kilometers. I'll raise some money for some charitable organization in the city. Mm-hmm. And then I, it just got closer to the month. And I was like, wait, I don't know how to set that up. Like yeah, someone, someone's yeah. going to want a tax receipt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Movember's probably got this figured out. And they do. Like you just sign up, people yeah. donate, they get their receipt back. Like it's all figured out. And then... Like, they are a reputable organization that goes and spreads that to a bunch of other different things. And then also, like, two years prior, my dad had prostate cancer. Mm. And he was operated on by the robotic, like, surgeon at the QE2. Okay. So they have, like, a robot surgeon that performs mainly cancer surgeries, one being prostate cancer. And that was uh, largely funded by donations. And it makes, like kind of back to the hospital simulation stuff but it it's like really interesting because it the studies on that kind of thing like show that it increases the capacity of the hospital's ability to do those surgeries like many many more times because mm-hmm. there's just less uh like there's less prep and clean because there's less people in the room yeah. um and all these kinds of things and the doctor just has to do it remotely from like behind a shield and and you can do like many more of those surgeries yeah and the one of the qb2 was largely uh, funded by donations, which is like a good and bad thing. Cause it's like, we shouldn't probably have to rely on like <laughs> yeah. regular people to do, to provide that. But, um, if that's what gets it done, that's what gets it done. And, yeah. um, I don't know if I've looked like in the exact details, but I think my hope was like November probably is connected to something that would do something like that. If, yeah. they, if their big thing is prostate cancer and like, uh, men's health and stuff like that. So, um, I figured it was just like, something to think of that I knew would work and I could get set up easy. Mm. Um, maybe I can give you the link to that and you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just cause we are, uh, getting up there in the kilometers. We're not getting up there in the dollars. So every, every <laughs> kilometer we we're supposed to match with a dollar is the idea. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So we're supposed to come up with a thousand dollars between the three of us. That's a cool idea. Um, and yeah, just kind of like popped my mind out on a run one day and I thought it would be, um, I was thinking of 
like a purpose. I, I felt like I was like, my foot's feeling better. I got the bike. I'm doing things. I want to put a little bit more structure on it. And what a better way to do that than just to put like a short-term goal out there, form a habit, um, and then get a couple of friends along, tie a bigger purpose to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all just kind of came together like that. Cool. Yeah. So will you do it next next month? Will I do it next month? Like a thousand. Like, well, back to the I don't think I could convince them uh, but to you also might do a thousand. Do like your 300 or whatever. I think I could stay. I think the idea of doing like, 200 yeah as like a like continually doing 200 and then have spikes up i think is is good sustainable yeah, yeah sustainable yeah. like that's a little over 100 miles a month i think that's a good target i know okay. someone who once said like i know someone who has like a mantra of running 100 miles a month that's like their thing that's like one of their like uh just like affirmations i don't know what that is like just regular things in their yeah, habits that yeah. they do. so it's 100 160k yeah um 40k a week yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 okay. And that's a good number. Like, you know, 100's a solid number, <laughs> just in general, to say that you do that, right? And so, and what that would do, like, for your body's good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think something in, like, the 160 to 250 range, I think, is doable. Okay. With some spikes back up to 300. Yeah. But yeah. also, maybe I'll do more than 300 this month. We don't know. Month, <laughs> we're not even halfway through November. How many do you have so far? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer that 80, how do you choose 85 85 okay what is it november 9th 9th yeah okay i ran one kilometer today <laughs> hey it all counts <laughs> yeah it all counts <laughs> so how do you choose between biking and running yeah uh basically i try not to run too many days in a row and then when that you've done when, that, I, when i've done that you, I go biking. Yeah, yeah. okay yeah because at that period in the summer like i was like legitimately running like seven days a week uh, for multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. Just unnecessary. And like so it's, it's, not, it's not like worth doing. Yeah. Um, and I try to get like, you know, three days max. And then it's like something on the fourth day. Mm-hmm. I think you, I think personally, if you run slow enough, you can run as many, like as many times you want. Yeah. Right? Um, and slow running is the key for sure. But if you, like, for me, just with the foot, if I go on a fourth day, I'm like, there's something happening that maybe I'm not feeling mm. that I might feel on the fifth day. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's like, let's just do, you know, two, three, and then get on a bike. Mm-hmm. Right? And when you were running seven days in a row, was that part of a training program? Or you just, like, you had this goal in mind and you were just going for it? it what was, what like, was the goal, too? The goal was to run a, like, 40, 41 minute 10K. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there was a training plan. <laughs> there was a method for sure. Um, and it was just like adopted from previous stuff that I had, I had done. Right? Okay. And it kind of just got like uh, due to like do two speed workouts a week, one longer run. Should have been three runs, but turned into four runs. And then that comes up with your seven days, right? Okay. And the two speed workouts, not necessary, I don't think. I, like, given <laughs> given where, like, I had an okay base, but it's, like, I'm not, like, like two, two speed workouts is for, like, you know, a track athlete or something. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not, it wasn't necessary for me to do that. Okay. Um, and the speed workouts are, like, you're doing, like, a 5K tempo, which is, like, you're just holding a 70% effort pace the whole time mm. with a warm-up and cool-down or something like that. And 
or like a 3k tempo or, or you're doing like a fartlek where you're just going like hard for 60 seconds off for 40 seconds hard for 60 mm-hmm. you know, something like that um and and the runs were never getting that long because i was also like come race day like 10k you don't need to run more than 10k to train for a 10k <laughs> you know what i mean and i was like yeah. i'd be able to push through a final kilometer you know what i mean <laughs> um so I felt like, you know, it was like also basically minimum 5k on a long run. It would be like eight or nine. Okay. Like not super high mileage. Yeah. More focused on just like, can I get my speed back up? And I surprisingly did, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it just hurt. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, Why surprisingly? You just didn't expect it? I just didn't expect it. Yeah. I was just running like, you know, six minute Ks for like four months in Uh a row. (laughs) And then, then, uh, like at Cabot, I didn't know what to gauge against yeah. it had been a while since i had really pushed like to a race kind of speed and mm-hmm. i probably held back a little yeah and oh. I, and so i just because i didn't know i was yeah. like never run this course i'm gonna blow up here there's a lot of pressure because i'm on this team that i'm not even supposed to be on <laughs> and all this stuff so uh but it was a lot of fun for sure yeah. yeah so that's why it was surprising i think what was good is when i finished i was like okay i still can't do that and that's what motivated me to be like maybe i can come up with a faster 10k time okay yeah. So how close were you to your original goal based on the, the Cabot run? Like based off the inspiration to get faster, how close Yeah, were you I was like, I think my 10K split at Cabot was like 45, 46. Okay, nice. 46, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not super far off. Yeah, yeah, like close enough that it's attainable. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so we went down a bit of a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah, with yeah. the running and biking <laughs> and same way we went down a rabbit hole with the work. So now we're going to talk a little bit about both. Um, Okay. Do you find any similarities between the running slash biking and your work? Uh, Yeah. So when it comes to like active lifestyle, really try to not let like getting it done. Really, really try to not let perfect be the enemy of like getting it done or good enough. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, I'm That's not, I don't want to be obsessed with, I'm going to open the episode with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be obsessed with like my speed and my splits and all these things. Right. Um, now at work, you can always, so building a model is an optimization problem in its own right, mm-hmm. because your model can always run faster. It can run on less lines of code. It can fit in a smaller amount of memory, like, and some software focused people are really into that. And, and you can really get yourself down a rabbit hole of spending way too much time on that. Right. Or if you're visual, if you're doing a visualization as well, like if I'm building a simulation for a big warehouse, I can be really focused on making the trucks turn a certain way or be a certain color or like back in a certain way. And to me at work, my view on it is like, 90% 90% of the time, it just matters what the numbers say mm-hmm. afterwards, right? Like, clients can look at the visualization once and just be like, I just want the answer. Like, that's a, that's a neat little thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a big similarity to me. It's like, you can get really granular, and there are a lot of diminishing returns to doing it. Mm-hmm. And just, like, consistency and understanding what the objective is is going to get you so far down the road. Um, and... I have, like, one friend in particular, not that I know anything about fitness or am qualified in any way, but, like, he asked me a lot of, like, fitness questions because he sees, like, 
this fitness person says to do this thing. And I'm like, if like that person trains at a level that is like so far beyond you and me, right? That me just getting out the door, like is going to do way more than putting my shoes on and getting out the door and going for a run just every day or Mm -hmm. six days a week or five days a week, even four days a week is going to do so much more for me as an average Joe than worrying about my like BCAAs and like whatever yeah. else, like, you know what I mean? Like, and so there's, there's a version of that at work. Right. And, and at work, I'm a big proponent of like, I think some people think I'm like, like not detailed enough maybe because mm-hmm. I'm, I try to always really just, if it's not contributing to the, to the final objective, like what color the truck is, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? um, Unless it's red. And that's a, yeah. And that's a trivial <laughs> answer. Like it gets more meaningful than that for sure. But it's still like, to me, not as important. And then, in the active lifestyle, it's like I don't need to be collecting all these metrics. I just maybe want to hit a kilometer goal, um, make sure – just enough so that you can tell if something's going wrong, mm-hmm. right? And then after that, like, are you having fun? Yes. Do you feel good? Yes. Okay, just keep doing it then. Keep going. Right? Um, second thing is, like like I, I mentioned, like we're getting into a point in the company where we have to learn a lot, and now it's like I'm getting – like everyone's becoming less of a specialist, right? And kind of at the same time when I'm trying to branch out from just running, mm-hmm. right? So it's I'm trying to be a little bit more diversified in what I do, and both at work and in uh, the active lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah. It's a lot more similarities than other people. Which is <laughs> <laughs> it's it's cool. I like. I don't it. know. That's a good question. <laughs> I I feel like they didn't have the same preparation as me though, because they haven't. They weren't able to listen to as many episodes uh, in advance. You know, put a lot of time. pressure on the next person. Then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta leave my mark somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you balance the running, the work, even though they are similar? Like, how do you separate them? Or, if, yeah, how do you? fit it all into a day and what do you think about your current work-life balance current work-life balance is good i think yeah yeah um so i used to believe that work-life balance was like a flywheel which is like some business guru said this one time and i can't remember who it was so the quote's not going to get attributed correctly (laughs) but like the more like basically work-life balance, I guess originally some people say it was the idea that like you worked really hard, so now you're going to relax or you are blowing off steam or something. Like there was like a dichotomy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. And the flywheel idea was like the energy carries from one activity into the next, depending on how much energy you put into any one activity. Right? Okay. Yeah. So you have various buckets of energy. It's not just one bucket of energy. Right. And I still subscribe to some of that. Like if you have a, if I have a really good day at work, like I'm, I'm probably more invigorated to do something afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas if I have a bad day at work, like it sort of carries over and I'm like, oh, just want to not do anything the rest of the day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so for me, like, I don't know, if, I don't know if it's a balance, but I don't know if it's that flywheel thing. It's something in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now it's, it's good. Like a day at work, most of my meetings start at like. 10, 10 30 because I'm an hour ahead of a lot of my coworkers. Okay. Um, but when I'm in a, I also have to find development time, which obviously is not like on my own time. It's still in work hours, but I like to do that stuff. Like I think I think best after I wake up. So yeah. I like to push that stuff to the morning. So I've been trying to 
Like I usually start work an hour to two hours before those meetings start. So like mm-hmm. either 9 a.m. On, on like a pretty normal day or like 8 a.m. possibly earlier if I'm in the trenches on some trying to debug some like big problem. Yeah. Right? Um, and for the most part, this is working pretty well. Like I've been uh, sleep has been good. Work life has been good. Work outside of life outside of work <laughs> has been really good. Um, training has felt good with the foot getting better. Uh, but there are times where, like, I think all of these things affect each other. Like, the foot thing was, like, a big downer, right? Oh, yeah. I, at, like, the first four weeks of it before I got comfortable on the bike, that was, like, making me sluggish at work. I was also in between projects, so I, like, wasn't doing anything, wasn't being productive at all. So then I was just waking up, like, late. I It was kind of, like, all bleeding into one, mm-hmm. right? Um so that's like when the energy is really low, like it kind of spreads everywhere else, right? But then there's the opposite where the energy is really high, it kind of gets too high. So like there was a period in December last year and April this year where two different projects at two different times went a little haywire, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have to work longer hours and I'm on these calls and things are getting towards deadlines. So not only is it like a lot of work, but there's also a bit of a stress factor to it as well. And then... I like to not compromise on the activity. Like, yeah, I need to get that in. It's kind of what I tell myself a little bit. So that becomes something you have to like, you're like, all right, I know I got to do that on top of all these other things. So I got to get that done. And then I don't like to let my diet slip either. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm like an extremely healthy eater, but I like to cook and I like to, uh, eat oatmeal every morning and <laughs> and have a smoothie every day. So I'm just like, those things are always getting done. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I am, am not substituting the smoothie with some, with like pizza pockets. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's just like <laughs> something that I always try to do and have been like that for a while. Yeah. Um, so then something still has to give, you know what I mean? Like I'm like fitting in all these requirements. And unfortunately I, if I can be like, self-reflective enough it's definitely like my mood like i'm just like cranky yeah like i don't know if i especially if i run into somebody who's not in that mode you know what i mean like i run into my roommate or something and he's like not in uh super hectic busy mode i'm like not yelling at him but i'm just in my head i'm like i don't have time for this like (laughs) you know what i mean um so there are there are a few things that i don't like to let slip and i try really hard to kind of hold on to them um and the one that's not in my control as much is work. Like I can't control how crazy work gets, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And at those two times in particular, like the December thing was really short, like two weeks of working basically 14 days, like weekends on top and super yeah. late nights as well. And then uh, April this year was like an entire month. It was like stretched out. So it was like more of like a war of attrition instead of just like acute. It was like, it was like 45 to 50 hour weeks for an entire month, but I wasn't working weekends, but it was just so exhausting. Like yeah. there, it would just, and like I'd finish work and it'd be like seven, eight o'clock, eight thirty, And I'd just be like, well, like, I guess I gotta eat these leftovers, cook something tomorrow and run and just go to bed. Go like, bed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that was like pretty much it. Yeah. So I, there are some things that I really try to hold on to. Um, and I try to not, um, Part of the, part of those work things, like I could have seen coming, I think, and like mm-hmm. with, ex- with the and experience like, I have, yeah, I think I can, I can't avoid them forever, but I can mitigate those 
why those things happen. Yeah. Basically, I made a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, I, I wrote a bunch of really bad code that and then kicked I came me back the ass to, later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I came back yeah. <laughs> but both the but they both got resolved and and everyone was impressed that I fixed it. So that kind of ties into the next question. Um, which is like, what can you do better to have a better work-life balance? Which I guess is not make those mistakes. Not make those mistakes. Yeah, get better at my job. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, who's somebody you look up to for the work-life balance, and what can you take from them to incorporate okay. into your own life? Um, or if you can't think of anybody, just what's something that you yeah, can work on? I can always think of an answer. Um, <laughs> there is. There, you don't have to know them. It could be like yeah, a yeah, business guru sure. that you know um, their book or whatever. I think there's a lot of people that I can list or think of that have really extreme lifestyles that I look at and I have the ability to be like, that's nuts. Maybe I can be 10% of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and within reason be like, I don't need to be exactly like that person. I don't need to do what David Goggins does. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I can look at that and be like, that's neat that he does that. And you know what? Yeah. Why can't I go for a short run today? Mm-hmm. Like, he just ran an ultra. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and it's, so it's like, I can a, do one kilometer. Yeah. Today. I can do one kilometer. Today, yeah. <laughs> and it's not about like that comparison. I, I don't think there's like a negative light on it. Like mm-hmm. I know another guy that I used to work with that was at a time, like a bit of a mentor and he had just so much insight from being this like scholar, like really big reader. And I like to read as well. And mm-hmm. he would just like shove these authors to me or books and I would like consume them. Cause I'd be like, this guy said it was a good idea too. And I would look at what he does. He's the guy who runs the hundred miles a month. And I'd be like, okay, that's really cool, but I don't need to be just like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can pull elements that make sense in parts of my life that make sense. Um, and I think if you aren't like to anybody who doesn't have, like if you, if you don't have somebody to look to, it's like, I would think you're just figuring it out on your own. Like, why would you not find somebody like there's, everyone has done this before. Anybody who is like, <laughs> like if you, I don't know. And, and that's why I think this is really cool that you do this because this is like, we are all trying to figure out how to have a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And the only way I think to do that is to probably just look at what other people are doing yeah, and, and yeah. pull aspects from all that. Right. Like, so I don't think there's anybody who I'm like, wow, that like, they live a great life. I think for the record, David Coggins is nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I think it's cool that he does that. And yeah, I can do a few extra pull-ups today. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. How many and have you done today? Today? Just 10. <laughs> <laughs> 10 more than I've done. So, <laughs> um, And uh, yeah, I do 10 every day and 50 push-ups every day. Oh, nice. at, the, at a point in lockdown, like when we were like locked at home, I uh, was living in like a single bedroom apartment at the time. And I, it was right when I had this like click of like, okay, I'm going to start getting stronger. Not, it's not just about running. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any like, didn't have a gym membership or any weights and stuff. So I just started doing pushups at home. Yeah. And I was just getting up to like 150, 200 a day. Just like, because <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I was just like stuck at home and I would just like go run and then do them like throughout the day. And uh, that's how, and then I went and like bought some weights and, and blah, blah, blah and stuff. But I still do like 50 because I'm like, it's feels like now it's one of those things that's like the, it's like a maintenance thing. It's like, yeah, it's become part of your day. Just part of the day. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. Forget where I was going with that, but uh, something about 
yeah, like you should, I think, look to something or somebody because somebody has done it before. Somebody has figured out how to get through mid 20s, late 20s with a job and have fun and be active. And mm-hmm. someone's done it before, right? And like everyone who's like been on this podcast or is a listener, like they're all trying to do it as well. So that's why it's really cool uh, that you're doing this. Thanks. Not not the answer I was looking for, but I'll I'll take it. (laughs) Um, So we've talked a lot about work and a lot about like the the active hobbies. Yeah. What's a aspect of the work life balance that we haven't touched on that comes to mind? Yeah, like other hobbies. Uh, it could be other hobbies or like how do you balance like family time or relationships or like Um, yeah, uh, my like there's so much to the the balance, right? My parents live super close and they always say they never see me. <laughs> so I could probably go see them more and I could call them more. And I actually did say I was going to call my mom today, but I didn't. So maybe I should. Day's not over. Day's not over. <laughs> yeah. Four hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> if that clock's right. Yeah. <laughs> she goes to bed pretty early. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I, I think it's probably, I really like a routine. Mm-hmm. I can get sucked into a routine a lot. Like, uh, I think parts, points in my life where I've been really into the routine, I could never imagine having someone come over and record a podcast after work. I'd be like, <laughs> after work is, is the time that I have to do all the things. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I gotta <laughs> run and clean and cook and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm trying to be a little bit less like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's been good for friends and relationships and families for sure. Yeah. Um, and also giving some more time to other things I'd like to do. So sometimes, like, I'm getting really interested in cooking. Like, just, uh, I've always cooked, but now I'm like, oh, we should try some new recipes and yeah. actually put some more thought into this instead of just making the same rice bowl every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, like, I grew up in a really musical household. Okay. And so dabble in the musical arts sometimes. Uh I have a drum set at my parents' house. I don't get to play that often. Um, it's because you don't visit them. It's because I don't visit them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but out of like all the things that I'm interested in do, that's probably like one of the one of my favorites. Like, yeah. I wish I could do that every day. And in an ideal world, I do it every day for an hour <laughs> or more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it is. Uh, it's so therapeutic. Like it is one of the best just releases and it can also be frustrating because it's like a mental challenge you're like oh i want to play this part and then you can't get it and it's like ah, blah, blah. but the success of when you do get it it's like yeah it's, it's amazing um and then uh one of my best friends like makes uh a lot of music as a hobby like hobby producer i guess mm-hmm. basically and um conveniently i live with him so he just calls me when he needs drumming consultants <laughs> uh consultancy to come down and like he's working on something and he's like how should this beat go what do you think this should sound like blah 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 so it's kind of cool to be doing that and then i got a keyboard uh during the big lockdown last may that i that that i don't play enough and i would like to play more of that mm-hmm. so trying to open up more time slow things down a little especially when i'm able to like I don't think I should spend every, like, with the flywheel thing, I shouldn't just be, like, grabbing the first thing to throw energy in. Like, I'm trying to be a little bit more methodical about mm-hmm. how I spend uh, free time and time after work. And it's a slow process because, like, 
time flies by. Like, yeah. I don't know, like a week just disappears <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I said I was going to do that thing. Especially like sometimes once you, after work, if I finish at like 5.30 or 6 and then I run and then I like come in from the run and I look at my phone for like <laughs> too long and then all of a sudden it's like 7. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to cook. And then after that, it's like 7.45, 8. And then you're like, well, now I got to eat it. <laughs> and it just goes on. And then the next thing you know, it's like 8.39. And you're like, oh, I said I was going to read. And then blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah, it's time to go to bed for sure. So, uh, yeah, big, getting big into cooking. I'm a big reader. I love to read. I always want to read more. Um, and then the music stuff is like the other three aspects that are more like hobby-based. Um, yeah. Yeah, everything right now though, like going going well. Friends, relationship. Awesome. Even though I don't see my parents often, they're good too. <laughs> um, just if I could do a little bit more of those three extra things, yeah, then I'd be and and I, as long as I get my thousand kilometer thing with my friends, <laughs> I'll be in a good spot for sure. <laughs> well, drumming seems like a cardio workout, so you could combine the two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think we talked about this before, and and I think I said it wasn't a cardio thing, but I was thinking about it later, and I was yeah. like, no, it totally is. Like there has been your sweat's pouring off you sometimes, yeah. depending on what you're playing. You know, you can. How many kilometers in a drumming session? Whoa. Put me on it. Put it on a track or something, or like, on, put some pedals. Put it on a bike or something. I don't know. That would, you could go a while, I think. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, that's all my questions. And unless you have anything else, we can wrap it up there. No, that flew no. by. Yeah, yeah, we went into yeah. some some holes for <laughs> sure. Some <rabbit> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure we could go into a lot more. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, I know that could go forever. Yeah. Cool. Thanks cool. so much for uh, having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for yeah. coming on, and I uh, appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. We put a link to Ian's Movember page in the podcast description, so if you want to make a donation, make sure to go check it out. Next week, we actually won't be releasing an episode. We've been planning on taking December off for a while now, but I've run into some hurdles over the past week that resulted in us starting our break a little earlier than planned. We'll release a couple more details on our weekly Friday posts, but in the meantime, enjoy the holidays, and we'll see you all again in the new year.